The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to Extra Point Taken. I'm Shiel Kapadi. As always, joined by Ben Solak, who was already tweeting, making fun of me for not get, being able to use a webcam properly because I'm the old uncle on the Ringers NFL staff. But that's okay. We're doing things a little bit differently this week. Uh, instead of, if you want some Monday Night Football, Eagles Commanders talk, head over to the Ringers Philly special. We've got you covered there. Good hosts. Good hosts on that podcast there. Great host. Absolutely. They do a great job. Yeah. Uh, We are going to talk about the rest of the NFL, the all the other stuff that's happening. We're recording this before Monday night football. Hopefully, you know the deal by now. We each have three takes coming off the week that was. We might be looking ahead. We might be looking back. We might be looking big picture. We might be looking small picture. Who knows? We're going to share them here. We don't know what each other's going to say. We could agree. Disagree, Benjamin, now that you've helped me. Well, I don't know that you helped me with my uh, webcam. You didn't really solve the problem. I mean, if you were like, a, if you were attacked. I gave you the solution. You can't find the app. All right. Anybody well, who's listen. ever tried to help a generation up knows that you can give the solution, but if <laughs> oh they can't gosh. figure out where the little window is, oh my gosh. you're dead in the water. Bad teacher blaming the student. Uh, I resent that. <laughs> All right. So let's forget about the technology talk. You're getting us started today. You're going to have the extra point at the end. What is your first take this week? Take number one. Uh, the Colts beating the Raiders had nothing to do with Jeff Saturday. It's nice. Like I, I'll put it. Uh, let's let's take the other side. If I were a like diehard Colts fan, and I were having the season that the Colts are having, disappointing season, came in with AFC South aspirations, we're finally going to have a quarterback good enough to get us over the hump of this carousel, and for the season to start the way it did, and to have the the Ryan benching for Sam Ellinger debacle, and then have the firing of Frank Reich to hire Jeff Saturday in a very poorly explained and defended radical move at the head coaching position to then become the punching bag of, of sports media for uh, for a few weeks, but certainly to have it at culminating crescendo to that week of the Jeff Saturday presser and all the criticism around that hire. Yeah, if I, if, if I were a huge Colts fan slash Jim Ursay in the Colts organization, I would take my victory lap on Jeff Saturday after he won one game. Mostly because I'm not confident he's going to win more games. So I might as well, you know, stick it to him while I'm up 1-0. Um, but you got Jim Mercer just out here tweeting like everybody, you know, doubted. I, he said, so like, who's 
who's been crapping or something. I have no idea what he was talking oh, about. Oh, I didn't even Jim see Irsay. this. Who's he was been tweet, crapping? Was, Jim wow. Irsay was tweeting, as Jim Irsay does, uh, the Colts 1-0 under Jeff Saturday, beat the Raiders 25-20. to When you watch the Colts play, I mean, like, you know, there's, again, like, there's an instinct because Saturday is this remarkable thing that's changed to, to say, like, oh, wow, the offensive line's playing better because Jeff Saturday is helping them play better, which like I don't think that's how coaching works. Like even if Saturday's like a really good coach, I don't think you can get into the building for the first time on Tuesday and then by Sunday have the offensive line playing better. Like to me that's just that doesn't that doesn't compute in terms of like anytime I try to do anything simple in my life, I can't get it like locked down in 5 days. You know, like it's hard. So like I don't think that that tracks. I think what is a far more explicable line of reasoning, a far more understandable, intuitive line of reasoning is this team didn't play Matt Ryan in week eight and week nine. They, I, I thought Matt Ryan was benched. The reason I thought Matt Ryan was benched was because Frank Reich and Jim Ursay and Jeff Saturday all said at varying times that Matt Ryan was benched and that Sam Elger be the starter for the rest of the season. Colts fans are very upsettingly telling me that actually Matt Ryan was injured for the last two weeks and that's why Sam Ellinger played, which isn't what the team said, but whatever, I'll give you that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor was back, played over 70% of the snaps for the first time since week four, right? Uh, previously, when Naeem Hines was on this team, even when he was healthy, 75% of the snaps, they were splitting. He was doing the, the, the early down stuff, played 94% of the snaps. They had their best player back on the field after missing week nine, after missing week six and week five, they had a best player back on the field, and he played the whole game. And which, again, like if we're going to give Jeff Saturday credit for being like, let's just play Jonathan Taylor the whole time, Oh, okay, there. That's good. Congrats to, to to Jeff Saturday. The last and most important thing to note in this game is that they're playing the Las Vegas Raiders, who just are a really, really, really bad football team. And the Colts were were four point dogs. You know, Vegas, the the gambling institution, thought that the Raiders were going to be better, and turns out the Colts were. So you can absolutely say, hey, like the Colts were underdogs. Like the Raiders should have won the game, and the Colts were better than expected, and that has something to do with Jeff Saturday. Sure, you know, we you, we can kind of like retcon as much as we want about like, well, actually Matt Ryan was benched because of the shoulder separation. And then Jeff Saturday fought to have Matt Ryan as the starter, even though Jim Mercer said during the week and Jeff Saturday said during the week that Ellinger was going to be the starter and this and that and everything we can, we can do the whole nine yards with like creating the, 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 the reality where this like all culminates with like the incredible hiring and dawn of Jeff Saturday. I saw a pretty bad Colts team be a worse Raiders team because their impact players, Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor were back on the field. I'm excited to see what continues to happen in Indy and morbidly curious about the Jeff Saturday experience. I'm not going to sit here and be like, wow, one and oh, Jeff Saturday. My opinion has changed on this hire. It isn't. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I- I'm being a little hesitant here just because it's like if you're a Colts fan, this season's been terrible for you. You won a fun game on Sunday. Go, go ahead and enjoy it. There, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. I got no problem with that. And Saturday seems like a likable guy. Like if he's the coach of the team you root for, you know what I mean? Like no one's, there's been no personal attacks on Jeff Saturday. Like look at this guy's history. He was a terrible teammate or a terrible friend or a terrible, like people seem to generally like him and likability matters. And when you root for teams as a fan, you want likable people to root for. Having said that, I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at the tweet now. Jim Mercy said, all you critics, you criticize all of us in the NFL for losing. When we make moves to win, you act so righteous. Quote, who you crapping, unquote, just win, baby. So 
There you go. I would say Spider-Man. Is that a quote? Did somebody say that? Is that a thing that's said? I pulled that up. I didn't Google who you crap in. It, I'm sure it is. Uh, maybe it's in a song. I don't know. This was a really a coin flip type of game. Uh, the Raiders had the worst defense in the, you know, bottom three, worst defense in the NFL, depending on what metric you looked at. But the big point is that the Ryan Ellinger thing. I mean, when they benched Ryan for Ellinger, at first it was like, wait, Ryan has an injury issue. But then Frank Reich was asked specifically, and it was, no, you know, we were exactly. going to Ellinger anyway, and Ellinger's going to be the QB the rest of the way. And by the way, very reliable reporting from Indianapolis. You didn't have to read between the lines to know that was coming from Jim Irsay. So uh, I think even uh, Stephen Holder, who has covered the team forever and is now with ESPN, tweeted something like, I wonder what Frank Reich thinks about Jeff Saturday being able to pick his quarterback. So, I mean, that is somebody who's more plugged in than me and you are in Indianapolis. And that's what he was tweeting. So that that's the big thing is that not that Matt Ryan's great or that Matt Ryan has performed, you know, at, at a high level this season, but the fact that you're going with a veteran quarterback, you're obviously going to have greater chances to win a single game than you would with Ellinger, who really hadn't showed anything up to that point. So I'm with you. A lot of times you get the bump with the, uh, you know, the, the first week with the new head coach, although I didn't even think that was going to happen this week because I think Reich was generally liked. It's not like Matt right. Patricia or somebody like that got fired, but it was one game against a two-win, you know, a team that is now two and seven uh, in the NFL. So let's see how long it lasts. Listen, if they go on a run, that would be a fun story for the NFL. We can both come on here and say we were wrong at some point. If that happens, uh, I don't anticipate that that's going to happen. I think their issues are deep there. I think they have talent issues. I don't think it was really a coaching issue there, but they're certainly going to have a better chance with Matt Ryan than with Ellinger. So we shall see. All right. My first point, Benjamin. And I know you guys talked about this on the recap show Sunday night. Did a great segment on this to begin the program, but it was a great game. I got to I got to fire off some takes on Bills Vikings. I can't just sit that one out. Bills fans should be, feel better about their Super Bowl chances now than they did before that loss to the Vikings. Here's the reason why. Sunday at noon, if you're a Bills fan, you're going, is Josh Allen playing today? Is Josh Allen playing in the next month? If right. Josh Allen does play, is that rocket arm and that athleticism and everything we've seen from the guy over the last few years, is that going to be available to him? And guess what? I mean, I don't know what your eyes told you. He looked pretty healthy to me. I mean, he was doing yeah. a lot of the things we generally see Josh Allen do. And so just that little nugget, listen, I know it was a tough loss. And if you're a Bills fan, you're probably like, shut up. What are you talking about? That sucked. Maybe you were at the game. Maybe you were watching with friends. Uh, what was a devastating loss. But if we zoom out and look at the big picture, all the things that had to happen for them to lose that game. They had to give up an 81-yard touchdown run. They had to fail to convert on second and two, third and two, fourth and two. Justin Jefferson had to make maybe the greatest catch I've ever seen in my football viewing life. If not, it's on the short list. Justin Jefferson made nine catches with a completion probability of under 50%. I thought it was seven. According it was to nine? NGS, nine, according to Next Gen Stats, the most by any wide receiver in a game since they started tracking this kind of thing with the tracking devices. Josh Allen had to fumble a snap that the Vikings recovered for a touchdown. How about this one? When I was re-watching it today, Ben, I thought this was an underrated moment. How about Duke Shelley? I don't even know if you remember this yeah. play. Who was called Dude, up. Sixth round pick out of Kansas State. Nickelback for the Chicago Bears. Good little player. I, I swear to you, <laughs> when Duke Shelley made that pass breakup, I went, Duke Shelley? 
I didn't know Duke Shelley. I like Duke Shelley. I'm like, he's on the Vikings. I felt great about it. This is why you're a sicko. Uh, Duke Shelley, who was called up from the practice squad the day before the game, breaks up the potential game-winning touchdown to Dawson Knox in the end zone. Fantastic play. And then Josh Allen threw a red zone interception to end the game. All those things had to happen for you to lose that football game. But if you zoom out, the bigger concern was, is Josh Allen healthy or not? And Josh Allen looked pretty healthy. So I know today, and I, I understand it, I, I'm guilty of it. We all do it. There's all these talks of, you know, do you pan, are the Bills the same team? What's wrong with Allen? I mean, I'm looking at a team that has a top five offense, a top five defense, leads the AFC in point differential. They're one game out of the top seed, by the way, in the AFC. And the, they own the tie break over the Chiefs, Ravens, and Titans. They should theoretically be getting healthier. Tredavious White, Kair Elam, Jordan Poyer, Tremaine Edmonds, all these guys uh, were not there. Tremaine Edmonds played, but then came out of the game. The other guys didn't even play in that game. And so that was probably, you know, if you look at it statistically, just on EPA per drive, that was their worst offensive performance of the season. And they scored 30 points. I mean, Allen takes them 69 yards in 33 seconds to tie the game. They go 52 yards on six plays before the interception. So I think what's happened is they've, you know, he's, he's made some mistakes. There's no doubt about it. He's thrown interceptions here the past two, three weeks. Uh, they're losing in some high leverage situations. But if you zoom out, if you're a Bills fan, take a deep breath. And I remember writing a piece right around this time last year. I think they were five and four or whatever it was. It was after that Monday night game against the Patriots when everyone was losing their minds. And this one's a little different. They're in a better shape uh, this year than they were last year. So Vikings, you deserve credit. They played a good game. They made plays there, but the Bills have lost three games by a total of eight points. I mean, we're going into week 11 and their worst loss was by a field goal this year. This team is fine. This team is a Super Bowl contender. They're still my pick to win the Super Bowl. And I think if you're a Bills fan and you're listening to this on Tuesday, maybe some of the hurt from watching that on Sunday has worn off and you can say, all right, Allen's healthy. We have a great roster. We're well coached. We are going to be there in the end. So that was my big takeaway from that game. I agree. I will say that I would have... Take me back to the Micah Hyde out for the season injury and then ask me, like, hey, like, how good do you want to feel about the Bills' defense? On like, what's the timeline for, like, figuring out life post-Micah Hyde? I probably would have said, like, by week nine, by week nine-ish, week ten-ish, I'd love for them to, like, have Tredavious White back have figured out who corner two is, be settled in the safety move. Like, let's get like middle of the season, give you like a couple months, figure it out. We haven't figured that out yet. So I, I would say like the Buffalo concerns of like one, the defensive backfield, the the musical chairs. Uh, Sean McDermott gave a quote uh, today about Travis White coming back where he was like, hey, is it physical or mental? And Sean was basically like, it's something. And that's not great. Yeah, that you was a little love, weird. Yeah, I agree yeah. with that. It, it definitely, it's not, we're not pressing the big red David Bakhtiari button where it's just like, hey, does this player want to be back from injury? Like, is this, what are we doing? But we're kind of getting there a little bit with Tredavious White where it's just like, you'd feel better if this were a smooth transition uh, to getting back into play. And it feels like he's like not on the injury report. Physically, it, it, they're clearing him and it seems like he just doesn't feel like he's back yet. So that, uh, like, I think Benford is a good player. They're outside corner too, but he's still a six round rookie. He's still pick on a bowl. And then I think they're still, you know, figuring out what exactly DeMar Hamlin can and can't be for them in the backfield. So there's that. And then there's the Josh Allen red zone interceptions thing, which to me like is, is concerning in the sense that like, Hey, 
if you throw a red zone interception, it's very bad. Don't do that. We can't do that against the Chiefs. Please stop doing that. Uh, There's less, I think, improvement that can be had there in terms of uh, Tiger doesn't change his stripes, man. One of the things I always circle back to in my like consumption of football, writing of football, analysis of football, whatever you want to call it, is that play style is play style. And whenever Josh Allen makes those like insane, inexplicable, what were you looking at interceptions? It just reminds me of Wyoming Josh Allen, right? And it's just like, all right, like you can get so good at this sport. You still kind of are what you are. You know, it's like you, you, you can be a varying efficacy, but play style nature is just not going to change. And that's the thing about Josh that like, you know, I, I think this, this serves as a reminder of like what they did against the Jags last season. And the fact that like, this is an extremely explosive offense at any time. They could be anybody. There's no questions about that. I have no doubt about that. But they also at any time could just start shooting themselves in the foot incessantly. And that's what they've done in these last two weeks and like in key situations. And it's led to two losses. And while that may feel nominal, because like you say, the, the Bills should feel as good about their Super Bowl chances as they as they did previously. They might have to play road games instead of home games if they don't handle their business because they are currently half game back by the Miami Dolphins in the AFC East. Right. And like that, if you were keeping things nice and tight, that wouldn't be the reality. You you would be controlling your own destiny, home games through Buffalo. But you drop this Jets game, you drop this Vikings game, and now you got to fight in the regular season to make sure that that the road through the AFC doesn't run through Miami. And that's you know that that that's why these little things start to add up and they start to matter. If there was ever any thought, whether it was in Brandon Bean's mind or Sean McDermott's mind or Ken Dorsey's mind or the mind of Bills fans, that you know what Josh Allen can change the way he plays. And there's another style when he throws the interception and then tries to punch the football out of the defensive back's hands to the point where he's then lying on the ground face down because he was in so much pain. I'm with you. That's not going to happen. He has one way he plays. I actually look at the uh, interceptions and in my mind, it's not a matter of like, are they just out of his system and not going to happen? I mean, don't get me wrong. He's had many games where he doesn't throw interceptions. But to me, when he has those games where he throws one, where he throws two, it's a matter of he just can overcome it by making these spectacular plays. You know, like mm-hmm. even the last drive of the in regulation, no one will even talk about because it ends up being nothing. Right. I mean, they like I said, they went 70 yards in 33 seconds and you didn't even think about it and they were like 10 yards away from the end zone. It's just like the, the end of the game against the Chiefs where like, you're like, oh, and yeah, Mahomes came back in 13 seconds with a superhero. And then you rewatch those Allen drives and you're like, what is this guy? This is unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, that would be, it's, it's more frustrating. I mean, you're right. That can happen in any given game. He's not someone who will always take care of the football and always take the safe plays. In my mind, you take the good with the bad and the good is just spectacular. And on another level from probably any quarterback in the NFL, not named Patrick Mahomes. And so I think they'll take some time to, uh, you know, recover from this one. Uh, I think they'll probably win a few in a row. I think they'll probably be sitting there, uh, with nine, wins and be okay and are, are in still still in good shape. Honestly, I think they can go on the road and win in the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to need to, but in my mind, they're still on right. the list of like three teams that three, three, four teams that can win the Super Bowl. I just think in a, in a in a world of diminishing home field advantage, one of the the few remaining and important home field advantages is, is Buffalo in the winter. Right now, I can hear Buffalo fans saying in the background, and I understand, like, hey, 
when Josh starts playing in the really cold weather, his receivers hate it and they want to die because the ball is thrown so hard it hurts their hands. So maybe it's gamesmanship, right? Maybe you don't want to be Buffalo in the winter. But just that 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 cold weather has like, you know, you I I just keep thinking about the Dolphins. And like if you can just if you could force Miami to come play you in Buffalo for the third time in January, as opposed to you going back to Miami, it just that to me is such a big difference. And that's why like that yeah. that that home field advantage to me, like, you know, oh, like between like the Eagles and the Vikings. Well, I guess the Eagles fans are nuts. But like, there's some home field advantage conversations where I don't think it's it's that meaningful. With the Bills, I, I think it is. That's probably right. All right. What do you have for your second take? Okay. The take is this. Among the egregious errors in team management over the last 12 months, Ooh, Russell so Wilson to the Broncos and like, you know, that, that deal, whatever. Devontae Adams trade, Derek Carr falling apart, like all of these instances. None is more frustrating or more damaging than the New Orleans Saints deciding to try to compete in the 2022 offseason. This team just lost a double-digit game. To K- Why are you laughing at me? Be- because I have a Saints-adjacent take. Now I got, I'm going to redo my order, but go ahead. Oh, all right. I didn't realize. You told me you had Dolphins, and you told me you had Bills-Vikings. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't give you my last coming. one. I thought oh, about well, it at the end, so this is great synergy. Go ahead. The Philadelphia Eagles currently own the New Orleans Saints in first round pick in the 2023 NFL draft, which is the fourth overall pick. And again, like as I said, egregious errors in team building. The Seahawks own the Denver's uh, Denver's first round pick. That pick right now is seventh. The Lions own the Rams. That's eighth. I don't really think the Rams have buyer, you know, sadness there, whatever. Cleveland, own, uh, their, their first round pick belongs to Houston at nine. Deshaun Watson trade, kind of a whole separate situation. But those three trades are Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, and Deshaun Watson. Three players considered by the acquiring teams to be franchise quarterbacks. We can win a championship with this quarterback. What was the what did the Saints get from the Eagles in that trade? Unless we forget, the Saints sent the uh, 18th overall pick in the 2022 draft, their first rounder, a couple late rounders in the 2022 draft, and a 2023 first. And 2024 second to get from the Eagles two first round picks in the 2022 draft that they subsequently turned into Chris Olave and Trevor Penning. These two names are critically important because through the the first 10 weeks of the season, I think Chris Olave has been the most impressive rookie receiver. I think we've seen from Drake London and Garrett Wilson and Traylon Burks. I think Chris Olave has been the best. George Pickens, Chris Olave, man, give me give me Olave against the field. The downfield ability, the, the breaking off the routes, the toughness he's been taking, these gnarly hits, and he's found a way to get back on the field. He's not afraid of contact at his size. He is hit. And Trevor Penning is not. Penning has been unavailable, right? Penning's been injured. Uh, Penning was also getting kicked out of training camp mutual practices because he was fighting guys. The film did not look good when he was playing in the preseason, right? I think a lot of people were very surprised to see Penning go that high. Like, certainly, by the time we got to the draft day, there was smoke on it. But, like, this was a, a, a reach on a pick of a, of a developmental tackle to account for losing Teron Armstead. So you have one pick that so far is going great, and you have one pick that so far is going poorly. And I think there's a way you, you in seeing that, you go, and it drafts a crapshoot, you know, 50-50. You know, we got, we got one of the first-round picks right, got one of them wrong. Shucks. No, you got both of them wrong. Like, Chris Olave is great. Don't get me wrong. You traded a future first and a future second to get 16 overall, which you then packaged with a third and a fourth round pick to move up to 11 to go get Chris Olave. Your quarterbacks at the time were Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. What were you looking at? You lost to Ron Armstead, 
And, and you lost Trey Hendrickson. You lost Marcus Williams. You traded away Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Malcolm Jenkins retired. Like you, you, you had a massive talent drain over the course of multiple seasons while your Hall of Fame quarterback retired. And then a year later, your Hall of Fame head coach retired. You had less cap space than any team in the league. 2022 free agency. All you had to do. All you had to do, Mickey Loomis, was sit on your hands for one offseason. Just for three months, take a yacht out to some island I've never heard of, throw your phone into the ocean, and just don't do anything. Just sip on drinks and read a book and have a great time. And you would have walked into the 2023 offseason with a top five pick and a draft with a ton of very good quarterbacks with more cap space. But no, you had to go get Teron Matthew, LSU hero, didn't you? You had to go get Marcus May, reload the safety position. And here you are at three and seven. And I know that the Saints have been banged up. I hear you. I know that you have not, right, no Trevor Penning, no Andrews Pete. Uh, uh, Marshawn Lattimore has been hurt. Paulson Adebo has been hurt. Michael Thomas has been hurt. Jarvis Landry, oh, another free agent signing. He's been hurt. Mark Ingram, back for some reason. He's been hurt. I understand there's been a ton of injury, and the Saints could have been better than this, but the Piper came, man. It was, you You had been robbing Peter, and at some point, you got to pay Paul, and you had a great opportunity to do it. You had an awesome chance. All you had to do was not trade future picks to get more picks in the 2022 draft to think Trevor Penning could replace Teron Armstead and then just wait, get a top five pick, get a good rookie quarterback in the building. You could have still gotten like, make the small trade up for Olave, right? You had 18 overall, move up for Olave. Go get Jamison Williams. Let him, you know, take a year off. Freaking get George Pickens, right? All you had to do was get, get, get George. Then you walk into next season with Bryce Young throwing to George Pickens with Alvin Kamara in the backfield and with a still solid offensive line in front of him without Trevor Penning on it. Still with Ryan Ramchek, still with Cesar Ruiz. You would have been fine. You, you would have so quickly reloaded on offense, but you couldn't be patient. And here you are, man. And the Eagles have a top five pick and they're going to win the freaking Super Bowl. And it's ridiculous. It was such a massive misevaluation of their own roster and what it was going to be, what life was going to be like without Sean Payton. And this isn't, you know, sometimes we'll come on here and there'll be some, certainly some hindsight. I mean, I would rip the Broncos now, but then I would tell you, I thought that was a fine move to make at the time, take a swing and see what happens. This wasn't one of those. I mean, I just thought, what are you doing? Sean Payton, like you mentioned, one of the best coaches we've had in the league over the last 30 years. He's gone. Look at your roster. You have no answers at quarterback. They tried to get Deshaun Watson, don't forget. Then they don't get Deshaun Watson, and they pay Jameis Winston $14 million a year. This is the third year in a row Jameis Winston was a free agent. Nobody in the previous two times was paying him over, I think, five, I think he got five or seven million, a one-year deal last year. And then you're going to pay him $14 million a year. What is going on here? And you said it. I mean, yeah, they could really be sitting pretty if they just didn't give up next year's first round pick. And, and if they did everything else other than that, just didn't give up next year's first round pick. Now you're talking about one year of pain. And then 2023, you come back. The fan base is excited. You've got a young quarterback. You still got some veterans on the roster. Maybe you compete right away. Maybe you don't, but you have a plan for the future. But they didn't do that. So uh, I was trying to think if I think it's as egregious, like now that we have the hindsight, I sort of feel like the Broncos might be in a worse spot just because not only did they make the trade, but now they're paying Russ $59 right. million, uh, a year. But at the time, this was the most easily identifiable 
uh, mistake of the offseason. Right. Like as somebody who at in the course of the Russ trade saga was like, I don't know if I would, I would want to be in this boat. You know what I'm saying? Like that alone, I was like, all right, well, if this works, it works. Like if, 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 like I, I, I didn't think there's upside at least. Yeah, I didn't think Russ was going to walk in and make them like an immediate contender. But if Russ came and just like brought the moon ball, like brought the offense, like it was working, then yeah, like they were like, all right, if this works, it's going to work. Like they're going to compete with the Chiefs. If the Saints' plan worked, they'd have a better left tackle right now. Nine wins, maybe. If everything, if everything went their way, yeah. If everything went yeah. their way, you're talking about nine wins, and there was never going to be any upside with the roster with this quarterback situation right. as constructed. Part of me uh, admires the idea of like, screw it, let's build the best team for this year and compete. I think no, there's, there's laws of man. Fun about there's laws that. of man and nature, and yeah. one of them is eventually <laughs> at some point you have to wait. You just have to relax, and that's that. Like, I think, I think that that's the important. The, like the actual salient point, not like the joking point goes in an island, which is that a general managers and team builders are correctly getting longer leashes. That is a generally good thing in that lengthening of the leash, in that changing paradigm of like, let's let guys trade more future picks. Let's attack winning windows. What now needs to be done is a recalibration to where the limit of the cliff is, right? Like, you know, Less needs out here trying to trade two future first and a future second for Brian Burns for a team that's like got a lot more problems than not having Brian Burns. Like there's a recalibration that's going to happen now. And I think the Saints are a good cautionary tale of like, all right, if you can't definitively point to just your quarterback position and say, if we're average everywhere, he can still make us a playoff team, then you're not allowed to go bananas you can't no trading future picks we need to yeah. get that right and then we can move forward I, I agree with you there i'm gonna reorder mine and get to this is gonna be three for me but i'm gonna make it number two because it's a great uh, segue to what you just talked about the sean payton rumors are gonna pick up in the next two or three weeks and just dominate the news cycle for like a 48 hour span I was I had the Saints on my mind like you did i mean 10 first downs 186 yards in the loss to the Steelers they're three and seven, their season is over. And I started to think kind of like you just laid out. I said to myself, they don't have their first round pick. Is any team in a worse spot than the New Orleans Saints? They have a, a, a coach who, in my opinion, is a huge question. They have nothing at quarterback. They have no first round pick. They've got some talented players on the roster, but they're really in no man's land. And then I remembered, hold on. They got a little, at least a little ace in the hole that could get them some draft capital. And his name is Sean Payton and a Sean Payton trade. Listen, we've already had two head coach firings in the NFL with Matt Rule and Frank Reich. More will be coming. Uh, you know, just looking at the playoff odds, there, there are probably 10, 12, 14 teams whose playoff chances are like under 15%. I mean, you're talking minor miracle uh, possibilities for them to even get in, in the postseason, a postseason where 14 of the 32 teams make it. Owners are going to start thinking about the offseason right now if they haven't done so already. We know Peyton doesn't mind having his name uh, floated out there from time to time, to say the least. And so I was looking at the teams, Benjamin, and I'm curious what you think about this. So Jay Glazer reported that Sean Payton is not going to the Carolina Panthers. I think he said that the Panthers asked him Same. to ask Sean Payton, <laughs> asked him to ask Sean Payton. And uh, he, he said definitively that that is not happening. The Indianapolis Colts, we'll see. They, they seem like they want to give Jeff Saturday uh, every chance to win the job. They'll have to do a process at the end of the season, whether it's a real process or a fake process, we'll see. But here are the other teams I was thinking of. 
that could be in the market for a coach at the end of the season. Maybe they, maybe they gauge Sean Payton's interest. The Houston Texans, the Denver Broncos, the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington Commanders, and the Arizona Cardinals. So I did this exercise. I wrote down two, and then I wrote down one. The team that I think maybe is the most likely destination for Sean Payton in a trade that will likely require, I think, a first-round pick, at least one first-round pick, and we'll see uh, what else this offseason. What do, you th- what, what do you think when I listed those teams? Or did I miss a team? Maybe I missed a team. Cowboys got to be the crown, right? Uh, I did not have the Cowboys. Uh, the Cowboys have been the obvious one, the talking point. At the same time, if the, the Cowboys are not having a disastrous season, if anything, uh, they're having a pretty good season despite their loss. And so they're at least going to be in the playoffs unless they fall apart. They easily could win a playoff game. So yes, that's, that's a possible saying, destination, right? but that's not the one I wrote down. Yeah, I just if I'm ownership in Dallas... God forbid I'm Jerry Jones. But if I'm Jerry Jones and we take this team to the playoffs and lose in the first round, which how long has it been since the Cowboys like won the divisional round playoff game? A bajillion years, right? Yeah. If they get knocked out wild card round, they don't even make it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling Sean. And I'm like, I'm trying to keep everybody in the building, keep Dan in the building, keep Kelly in the building, get rid of Mike, put Sean in here, and let's go win a championship, right? So to me, that, that one's got a ton of legs. I'll remind everyone that Jerry Jones is... Very loyal to coaches who, like we said, coaches want someone they can go to lunch with. He stuck with Jason Garrett for a long, long time. And so, uh, you know, the two questions there would be, would he be willing to make a move? One. And two, is that a destination that Sean Payton would find attractive, kind of knowing the power structure and the owner's influence? But yes, they, they absolutely need to be mentioned. They're not the team that I had as my final choice. If you had to choose a second one, who would you have? Commanders are weird. Like, commanders make sense on paper, but also if they're going through a sale, then, like, are you going to trade multiple picks for Sean Payton as ownership while you're also potentially selling the team? Like, I guess, right? Like, add value to the team? All right, I talked myself into the commanders there. Broncos, also, the the main thing about Nate Hackett, which I haven't talked about Nate Hackett in a while, because after week two, I... Gently suggested that Nick Hackett should be him. one and done. And then since then, I've just received no evidence. I saw a stat today that if in regulation, the Broncos offense scored 18 points every single game in regulation, the Broncos would be eight and one right now. 18 points per game. Amazing. In four quarters, Broncos would be eight and one. They're like three and six, regardless. Their defense is second second in EPA per drive in the NFL. Yeah. If you would have told me before the season, the Broncos are going to have a top three defense this year. What's the Broncos' final record? It would not be what it's going to be. 13 and 4. I almost, my extra point was almost, it was very nearly, uh, this should be, this upcoming head coaching cycle should be defined by defensive coaches. Ejiro Evero should get a job. D'Amico Ryan should get a job. Shane Bowen from the Titans should get a job. And I won't even mind if Dan Quinn from the, the Cowboys gets a job. Like these, these, there are some of these defensive staffs that are just pitching with gas. And then there's other defensive guys we know who like, Jonathan Gannon with the Eagles, Raheem Morris with the Rams, probably are going to be back in the cycle, even if they aren't doing like, you know, with like varying degrees of, of, of right. worthiness there in terms of being in the cycle. It's going to be a defense coach cycle. But regardless, as an aside, Broncos, I think, make a lot of sense just because that ownership group did not hire Hackett. And I think it's an understandable first big swing, big splash, bring in a Sean Payton, see if you can fix Russ. Because Russ ain't going anywhere, right? You can't get rid of Russ. Like, let's bring in Payton, who worked really well with a short quarterback that Russell Wilson has long idolized in Drew Brees. Let's see if that makes sense. So I like I like the Broncos one as well. All right. So you didn't name the one that I had as my finalist. So my finalists were 
the Broncos and the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals, the Broncos, yeah, yeah. The Broncos would make all the sense in the world. However, Broncos don't have their first and second round picks uh, for 2023. The Seahawks <laughs> right. have their first and second round picks. So now either you're dipping into other draft capital in 2023, you're taking it out of 2024, you're trading players. I don't know what the Saints are going to want, but yeah, they're going to be, the Broncos are going to be a very desperate team this offseason, given what they invested in Russ and the way this season has gone. Uh, I guess they still... Couldn't make a big swing, but I'm looking at the Cardinals and uh, I don't know if you're Sean Payton and you're looking at what your options are and you see Kyler Murray and you don't love everything about him, but you say, man, the talent is absolutely there where if I fancy myself to be a quarterback whisperer and offensive guru, which he, you know, he's pretty much proven for his career, I get a chance to go coach Kyler Murray. It's not exactly going to be a high pressure uh, work environment there in Arizona. Maybe they're moving on. I know Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime got uh, extensions in the offseason, but I can't imagine they're just going to run this all back in 2023. And so we'll see. But those were the teams I had outlined. And as I was whittling them down, I thought, you know what? Sean Payton, Arizona. I think there was some strange report that he wanted to be somewhere that had good golf or something. Waste management, (laughs) baby, every year. I don't know if he views it as half retirement, half coaching when he gets back into it, but it seems like that could be a nice second final stop for Sean Payton uh, in his career with the Arizona Cardinals. So maybe if you're a Saints fan and you're saying, this sucks, Solak just ripped me, Shield just ripped me, I have nothing, root against the Cardinals. Maybe that Cardinals pick might become your pick in the uh, season. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Because you are a fighter, and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you have for number three? All right, number three. If Cooper Cup can't play, the Rams are the worst team in the league and should sit Matt Stafford for the rest of the season. I don't even think this is a hot take. Let's do my favorite game, which is name Ram starters. Cooper Cup, starting wide receiver. Who's their second best to target getter, snap getter, receiver right now? Allen Robinson. Behind him, Ben Skoranek, who started the season moonlighting as a fullback. 
Van Jefferson started the season injured. I would say that Skoranek and Jefferson are clearly below average starters. I would also say that Allen Robinson at this stage in his career is below average starter. I know they didn't pay him to be that. I know the fantasy community didn't want him to be that. That's what the film has been the last few years. Running back. They haven't had a running back with more than 62 yards in a game so far this season. Daryl Henderson is currently like the starter in the sense that he just got the most handoffs. Next week, it'll be Kyron Williams. Then it'll be Ronnie Rivers. Then it'll be back to Cam Akers again. Any of those players get you up, get your blood moving, get your juices pumping. Tight end, Tyler Higby. How are we feeling about Tyler Higby? Where are we ranking Tyler Higby on the tight ends? 14th? Average I was going to say 12th, just off the yeah, top of my average head. Average starting yeah. tight end? Now let's do the offensive line. They've had nine different starting iterations in nine weeks. Alaric Jackson, everybody pumped. Going to get some, uh, get some Coleman Shelton this week. There are two above average players on the entire offensive depth chart for the Los Angeles Rams. This is, again, Mickey Loomis, what's the line? This is the cost of doing business. If you want to build a team like this, eventually you can pay a piper. They are two above average starters on the Rams offense right now. They're named are Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. One of them walked into the season with an elbow injury that like we've kind of forgotten about over the last month, but was described during the offseason as like, yeah, it'll just be him managing the pain for the whole season, which, okay, he's a mid-30s quarterback. It's most mid-30s players are going to be pain management, but also you like traded the, 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 the franchise for him and he won you a Super Bowl. You want to protect this guy for as long as possible. That's the one dude. The other dude has now apparently got a high ankle injury that could be multiple weeks. If Cup can't go, Matthew Stafford is the only plus player on a Rams offense that cannot protect him, and he can't get out of the pocket. The amount of hits that he's taking already, he takes the top 10 number of hits in the league at quarterback, is unacceptable. The Rams offense by EPA per play is the worst offense in the league. Negative .117, 32nd, worse than the Colts, worse than the Broncos, worse than the Texans. If, and Cup is one of the five best receivers in the league. If he can't go, there's nothing for the offense. They, they have nothing. So why play Stafford? It, the, the, if, the, I, in, if I were running the Rams, if I were ownership, now I'm no longer Jerry Jones. I'm wearing my Stan Kroenke mask. My whole goal... Nice mustache. Thank you. you. Worked on it very hard. My whole goal is to keep Sean McVay and Aaron Donald as mentally interested in the sport of football for as long as possible. Because both of those guys have pretty openly flirted with the idea of like, hey, I've been to the summit. I liked it. I'm ready for the next thing in my life. Sean, I dare you to win a game with Bryce Perkins. I don't know. Like, do something. But you, it, you, if you get a significant Matthew Stafford injury during a meaningless back half of the 2022 season, why would Sean McVay continue coaching Los Angeles Rams? He very clearly is ready to just like, Move on to something that he'll pull Sean Payne. Go and like do some media. And then if he wants back in, he'll get back in whenever he gets back in. Like that is his perspective. Donald had to get talked back into staying with the team. If his future looks like Aunt Derek Carr and Trevor Simeon for the next three seasons while we wait for the Rams to get enough draft capital to trade it for a quarterback, I don't think Donald's going to keep playing. And all of a sudden now, like just your beautiful Inglewood Stadium and your gorgeous LA NFL defining team is just a nothing burger for the next four years. That's a scary thing. So if Cup is shelved long-term, I you can't openly punt on a season because you get in trouble, but I would very softly, very gently 
punt on the rest of the season. Just get out of here and then get ready for next year and try to make sure that you're ready to contend at that time. So the purpose of this would just be to avoid a catastrophic injury to Matthew Stafford that leaks into 2023. Right. I would say that Stafford re-aggravated his elbow injury and we're giving yeah. him surgery and we're bringing him to, into the offseason. I'll, I'll, I'll frame it to you this way. If I stepped into a time machine and went back four months ago to Stan Kroenke when they knew about the elbow injury in the offseason and they were zero and zero and I said, hey, in the middle of November, you're going to be four and six. Do you want to put Stafford having the injury right now? He'd go, yeah. If he knew that they were not going to contend this year, they would have, I think if Stafford needed surgery, I think they would have given it to him in August. So now at this point in November, make the call. Yeah, three and six, not even, not even. Three uh, and six, four, excuse me. Four and six, and they're cooked. I mean, you mentioned it. It's been, I've sort of been hanging on and hanging on because I have so much faith in McVeigh that I thought the floor of the offense would be pretty high unless just everybody got injured. I thought he would be able to figure it out. I mean, they've had a bye week. They've tried different things. Nothing has worked. They're just not talented enough. Now, most teams, you would say, yeah, do that, and then you'll get a higher draft pick. They don't have their first-round pick uh, in this year's draft, so the Lions, you know, right now would have the eighth overall pick uh, for the Rams. Now, the Rams did it. Listen, the Rams got a championship out of it. It's always basically going to be worth it if you get the one Lombardi trophy. But, I mean, when you were describing that, honestly, about keeping McVay interested, are we sure there's there's a path to keeping him interested and a path to this team being really good and an actual contender? In 2023, they don't have their first-round pick. Stafford's going to be a year older. You mentioned it. I guess you can add one other weapon alongside Cooper Cup and, and hope for better health on the offensive line. I mean, you still have Ramsey and Donald uh, in their primes or near their primes on defense, so you would hope you figure out something there. But... Man, it's uh, you know, w- when a quarterback gets that age and like you said he's been he's been hit so much and he's been dealt dealt with different injuries in his career, you just sort of wonder that like yeah, I- I'm with you. I think there's a if we want to talk about like bold predictions for the offseason, just waking up one day to a uh alert that Sean McVay has informed the Rams that uh He's retiring or take, you know, whatever the term would be, take, taking time off from coaching for the next, whatever. I mean, yeah. you mentioned he flirted with it last year, whether that was a negotiation ploy or not, I don't know, but it gets a lot harder when you've been such a great team and you've won a Super Bowl to then motivate yourself to come back and put in the hours when you look at your roster and say, we're probably still not going to have it and we don't really have a means to get it for next year. Yeah, to me, it's the the... What I'd like to get to is I'd like to get to the the, the NFL's universal optimismizer, the offseason. If I can get Sean to free agency, and I can say like like I, I don't know to what degree he was involved in like the Allen Robinson signing, for example. And like obviously like last year, like during the trade deadline, they just like went bananas, right? Like get Vaughn, and then because you get Vaughn, you get Odell, and like you know whatever, yada 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 yada. But this year, like just Allen Robinson, that's the only new toy he gets on the offense and it doesn't work. I don't know to what degree like that was a him call versus Snead call, whatever. But if I'm cronky, I go to Sean, I go like, hey, like whoever you want this like this offseason, like, like let's let's build this in. Let's build this in with the players you want. Like, you know, he probably was I think McVay was a big part of the two two at will pick, which is a total nightmare. Let him make another two two at will pick. I, it's worth it. If you, if you can't be, what a if, recommendation! Right, Make another it, two, and this is going to lead to success. Making another two two yeah, because you get if you I keep know McVay in the build, you know what I'm saying, right? <laughs> so it's because the thing is, is also it's a house of cards. I think Stafford, Donald, and McVeigh could all retire tomorrow, 
and be happy with their careers. Right now, all of them play for play for are engaged with are employed by the Los Angeles Rams. The moment one goes, run, why is Stafford going to take another shot to the back if he's being coached yeah. by what? Who, who they got there now? Liam Cohen, Sean Payton. I'm for it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just not. <laughs> why bother? You know what I'm saying? Like why if if there's no Donald? Like the Rams are like I said, they're 32nd EP per play on offense. They're 19th in defense. There's one reason why his name is Aaron. Like even Ramsey's not playing that well this year. If Donald goes, you Sean's gonna wait and see if Greg Gaines can be an impact three tech. It's just not like you know, it's a house of cards. And so just I think you gotta find a way to make sure you have reason for optimism in the offseason, which like healthy Stafford plus hey Sean, go sign Kendrick Bourne. It won't be great having Kendrick Bourne. Like whatever you need to do to just kind of mentally yeah. keep him there. I think you do. Okay, I like that one. All right, my last one. We got good synergy here because my last one, Ben, is Mike McDaniel is the new Sean McVay is my final take. (laughs) Yes, I love that take. I I was debating is the new Kyle Shanahan or is the new Sean McVay? And then I thought McVay's on his way out. He's had a great Mm. run, has won 64% of his games, made the Super Bowl twice, won it once. The Rams stink this year. He's fading into the background. Like our last segment is probably the only time anyone will talk about Sean McVay uh, for the next two months unless he retires. Maybe he resets and they're good again next year. But my gosh, what Mike McDaniel is doing with this Dolphins offense. And you were trying to, you know, convince me of it a couple of weeks ago. And I was a little hesitant. And I'll still wait before putting, you know, putting them in the Chiefs and Bills category in terms of Super Bowl contenders. But that game they played against the Browns, and it's not like a one-game thing. I mean, they're doing this every week. I think I said it last week. If you watch Red Zone on Sunday, anytime they go to the, a Dolphins game, the Dolphins are either scoring or in the Red Zone. I swear, they do not have empty drives. They go 29 first downs, 491 yards versus the Browns. There's been 299 offensive performances this year. That one ranked fourth in EPA per drive. Ben, the Dolphins have the fourth sixth and seventh best performances in the entire NFL in terms of EPA per drive this year, single game performances. That's more than the chiefs. There's only one the, the chiefs are the only team that has more than one. They have three of the top seven right there. If you look at two, a tongue of Iloas EPA per pass play. And if you look at every quarterback through 10 weeks over the last 10 years, here's his company, Drew Brees in 2018. Patrick Mahomes in 2018, Aaron Rodgers in 2014, Peyton Manning in 2013, and Tua in 2022. Those are the top five passing performances through 10 weeks uh, in the NFL over the last 10 years. I mean, this offense right now, they're second in EPA per drive. If you just isolate the snaps where Tua has played, they have the best offense in the entire NFL. And so I'm, listen, I'm giving Tua credit. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I was not the, the biggest Tua guy. Uh, and I'm not saying anyone could just be plugged into this offense and be great. I do think it's a combination of the way he's playing and also the supporting cast and the coaching. And Mike McDaniels to come into that environment, which has been a dysfunctional organization. You trade for Tyreek Hill. I made the joke probably 30 times in the preseason that Tyreek Hill was going to be slamming a tablet on the sideline by week six because he was so frustrated. That hasn't happened. Tyreek Hill has somehow been better in Miami than he was with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Jalen Waddell. 
outstanding. The command that Tua has, the processing, he knows the answers. When you watch these games, he's not back there thinking or you know ha- having to make a lot of plays outside of structure. He's confident. He knows what coverage he's seeing. He knows where he's supposed to go with the football. He's ripping some of these throws. His accuracy has been outstanding. And so uh, I'm not going to go full board and just like, you know, crown them and say uh, they're, they're going to get to the Super Bowl uh, just yet or that they're in the same class as the Bills and the Chiefs. But this offense is passing the test week after week after week with Tua. And I'm really excited to watch them the rest of the way because they get the bye and then they get the Texans. And then the last six weeks, 49ers, Bills, Patriots, and Jets, they have to play in the last six weeks. Those games are going to be must-see TV. This offense that really, I mean, it passes any test. The metrics, the eye test, the film, any 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 person you talk about, say, hey, give me a breakdown of the Dolphins. Everybody has to be on board. There's nothing going on there right now that seems fluky. So uh, I think McDaniel's going to be the new sort of boy wonder in the NFL. If this continues, McVay, who knows where he'll be? Uh, Shanahan, who knows? But McDaniel, to do what he's doing this year, has been very very impressive. Dolphins Chargers is going to end football discourse, man. That game just with Tua, Herbert, the Chargers defense, the state that's in right now, brother, it's going to, we're not going to make it. Apocalypse now, man, we're done. Uh, as you may have been able to tell by my initial reaction, I love this take. This is, a, this is the best take we've ever had on this, on this show. Mostly because next Sean McVay died. I forgot that it died after McVay, like the year after he was hired and was great, went to the Super Bowl. Every single person that lived and breathed air and called wide zone twice in one game was the next Sean McVay. Just <laughs> incessant, right? It was so irritating. And there was, what there was, was, was there is a lack of understanding that what McVay did really well, you know, run the system with wide zone, boot, boot, roll out action, you know, we understand the defense, whatever. He was just an extremely good series play caller. It's so hard to make everything look like everything in terms of, of, of how you coach it. He's a good series coach, how to coach it, how to look like it, what the techniques are, and then play calling it, how to set up, how to get that one defender to believe it's that one thing to get that one advantage to create an explosive play out of nothing. And like even Shanahan's never been as good at this as McVay is, right? I think like it's inappropriate to call McDaniel the next McVay and then not Shanahan because Shanahan, he's a good series play caller. He's not been as good as McVay has in terms of that everything looks the same. Everything builds off of one concept. There's this, this complexity that comes from simplicity. The absolute, the second you said it, the light bulb went off in my head where I was like, man, nobody since OG Sean, since like 2017 Sean, has been able to make everything look the same on offense until it's not like McDaniel does. And it's it's just, just they run just like uh, Seth Lena of PFF has a great breakdown on his timeline from a couple, a couple weeks ago. They run this like post wheel option. They run it like nine times a game. And it's just, it's a give, it's a jet, it's a touch, it's a pass, it's an RPO. It's just their ability to give you one package and then build so much stuff off of it. It's just, it's such a nightmare to deal with even before two of the players running on the field are running with four, three speed. And the quarterback is just shooting in two seconds down the field on every single play. Like even before you start to incorporate the talent at wide receiver and at quarterback, it's so hard to handle. And that the, the, Doling out of credit in Miami is a tough thing. It really, really is. But man, like there were a lot of offensive minds in Miami trying to figure out how to get an offense to work around Tua last year. And some of that was to his detriment. There were too many cooks in the kitchen, but there was a lot of effort and it didn't work. And there were other issues with that. Like the, the line was bad. Line was terrible last year. Yes. Four, three of the five starters are back. 
And you don't hear jack about Liam Eikenberg anymore, do you? Exactly. Anybody yeah. talking about Austin Jackson recently? No. The coach solved a lot of problems for this team. Two of problems and other problems. Uh, and that, to me, is a, is a huge feather in Mike McDaniel's cap. So, absolutely. I am enamored with that take. I'm going to be <laughs> saying that as if it's my own for the rest of the season. <laughs> there you go. All right. Hit us with the extra point taken to finish us off. This branches a little bit off of Tua. So, but we're just great at podcasting now. We got to keep this rolling forever. Took till what? Week, what are we? Week 10? Week 11? Week 10, yeah, it took yes. some time. All right. Okay. The take requires a, a small preamble. It is week 10, which means we are officially in the stage of the NFL season in which there are 19 players in the MVP race. Three weeks ago, Geno Smith had an MVP case. He lost to the Bucs. That's done. Two weeks ago, Tua was a MVP. Tua has got to be the MVP. That one's still living, right? You look at like yards per play numbers, EPA numbers. Tua season matches up with MVP seasons of years past. This week, Justin Fields, right? Like Orlovsky's on ESPN, just like, yeah, Justin Fields. She could play as well in the MVP race. Bears are three and seven, but whatever. We all like Jalen Hurts is an MVP. Patrick Mahomes is an MVP. Josh Allen's an MVP. Lamar Jackson's an MVP. We have two options. <laughs> this is the take. The first option is to shed from sports writers' shoulders the yoke of superlatives. To decide that there is a way to talk about players as good without deciding that they are the most valuable player, the single most important player to their team in the league. Well, our first option is to find some gradient between average and elite and exemplary, to find shades of gray. Our second option, we need new, we need more awards. My official take is we need more offseason awards. Oh, we need oh an MVP. God. We need Offensive Player of the Year. We need no. Most Improved Quarterback of the Year. No. We need Best Season from a Quarterback in His First Three Seasons of the Year. We need Most Surprising Ex-Backup Quarterback Starting Well of the Year Award. And we need Should Have Won MVP, but We Didn't Have Enough Awards Award. This is, we either have to get better at talking about quarterbacks which seems extremely difficult in the current climate of discussing football players, or we need 19 quarterback-specific end-of-the-year awards. Only one of these two options will save us. Otherwise, we're going to have to do MVP discourse about, like, I don't know, Kirk Cousins. It's coming. They're 8-1. and one. Kirk played well against the Bills. It's coming. There's a Kirk MVP take out there somewhere, Shield. And we're just going to keep doing this forever until eventually we reach critical mass, and we have to create... Second most MVP, third most no. MVP, fourth most no. MVP. We got more awards. This is my solution. I'm getting anxiety. I'm getting chest tightness. The la I do not know. There will not be more <laughs> awards. I do not need more awards. I mean, I sometimes make fun of our NBA podcasting brethren when they pick like the first, second, and all, third, all NBA teams. And I li I love these podcasts. I listen to them, but they it feels like it pains them so much to make they lose sleep and they feel there. No, we don't need more awards. That is not the answer. You're too young to have such a curmudgeonly take. Like, see, I'm sitting back and going, who cares? You have a little MVP debate on Justin Fields on a Tuesday in November. No it one drives me insane. It's sports conversation. What's the big deal? You have a take and then you make the case. See, this is how, yeah, this is how sports writing used to be. Like I did th this story on this old show in Philadelphia called The Great Sports Debate. And they would literally have a panel of sport, four sports writers. They would debate sports stuff. And I was watching old tapes and they once pretended 
pretended that Michael Jordan was a pumpkin and they took a bat and they smashed the pumpkin and they said, this guy will never, <laughs> I literally watched this, this guy will Content. never win anything. He's a me first player. Listen, sometimes you just let it rip. You know, we get into the film and the analytics and everything, something you want. Sometimes you have a take, you just let it rip. It's okay. No one gets hurt. So no more awards. You No one is forcing you to talk about the MVP. If people want to let some MVP takes fly in week 10 and uh, you think they're outrageous, that's okay. That's part of the fun. So I'm vetoing your extra point taken. It's just because <laughs> like I wrote, I did a Fields uh, video. I did a Fields play sheet and like most of the responses were like, yeah, like Fields is a lot better. This is the bomb. And then there was a decent fraction of responses that was like, hey, Fields is the worst player ever and you're a moron. And then he <laughs> set new rushing records against the Lions this week. And I tweeted, I was like, feel this feels a sensation. Like this is like, this is like, I, I, I don't remember watching a quarterback play like this in this way, like, just the speed, the explosiveness, it's allowing him to be more decisive. It's so cool. And then people were like, why do you think Justin Fields is the MVP? And I was like, God, I, I can't, I, I just want to enjoy the player. It's so difficult to enjoy the player when you can't be like, he's good without some people being like, actually, you hate me by saying this. And some other people being like, oh, so you think he's better than Patrick Mahomes? Guys. I just want there to be a world where where good is a good is good, not on an MVP track or actually bad. I just let good be good. That's my that's the, that's 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 my campaign slogan when I run for president of of how we talk about football <laughs> players in 2023. Benjamin Solak, let good be good. Solak Kapadia, let good be good. <laughs> Mike McDaniel's new Sean McVay. I have your solution. Uh, don't don't be so online. There you go. It's not more awards. I it's wish. Not, just don't be so online. You let it rip. You write your piece. You go for a walk. You come back. You give out your email address. I mean, if someone seriously wants to have a B for a conversation, they can email you. There you go. You know why I give out my email address? Be so like at Spotify.com. It's because the people who take the time to email are the nice people. There you I, go. The so emails are great. Listen. Love the emails. There you go. That's all you have to worry about. All right. That'll do it. That was good. And it went, went down some different paths on this episode. Now, thanks to everybody for listening. Tuesday on this feed, you will get Austin Gale and the Power Rankers on Wednesday, Nora Princiati on the island. I'm back Thursday on the scramble, and you get Solak on Friday for the preview show. Thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. I'm Shil Kapadia. He's Ben Solak, and we will talk to you next Monday night. Mm-hmm.